So the reading today comes from John's Gospel, chapter 11, verses 1 through to 45, and you'll find it on page 1077 of the Church Bibles. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It's when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us go also that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she'd said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who'd been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out. They followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who'd come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and trouble. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odour, for he has been there four days. 
Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. It's great to be with you this morning. Always enjoy where there's uh, three or four sermons to preach, uh, because that way, whatever I pick, I can always say that you have to uh, unpack the themes in your small groups this week. So I'm going to pick one theme, and uh, hopefully it'll become a little bit more obvious when we get there. Anyway, I'll keep going, and then the slides will hopefully work. I want you to imagine two restaurants. Uh, Here we go. I want you to imagine two restaurants. The first restaurant was so bad that it it dwindled in numbers and closed, and someone bought this restaurant, and uh, because they'd invested a whole lot of capital in the restaurant, they kind of opened it straight away and thought, well, we'll fix all the problems as we go. And so they put a sign out the front saying, under new management, and uh, in the race to get things done quickly, they thought, well, we'll get the customers in, we'll turn it over and we'll make some money and then we'll fix things up as we go. But people came in expecting a new experience from an under-new management restaurant. What they found was all the old problems of why they'd given up on the previous restaurant. And so whilst they took the fast approach to getting it going, they actually struggled and eventually had a decline in the restaurant. The second restaurant took a different approach. They actually uh, decided that they would uh, invest the capital, but they'd actually try and get things right. So they got a couple of little small test audiences in to see how they liked it. And as they gained the feedback from those people, they fine-tuned the restaurant. And then after having a, a, a couple of those, they sort of decided that they'd have a soft launch. You know, that one of those quiet launches that, that were sort of like, you can, you can test out what it would be like. And they did a couple of those and eventually they had a a kind of a grand opening and after a slow build that actually built a sustainable business that was able to continue to uh, function effectively. Here's two very different approaches to restaurants and I'm not a restaurateur so if you are please don't don't think this is advice on how to run your restaurant. But you can see in the, in the very quick approach, the under new management approach, that's how a bulk of our world works, isn't it? We want the, the, the quick fix. We want the, the, the fast solution. We want something that's going to happen really quickly. And, and we want to shortcut all of the, the procedures that the people who actually took the sustainable approach normally have to go through. People want to skip all that and, and, and get to the end result. It's like the ad in the paper. I don't know whether you've seen this ad in the paper, but it's, it's how to meditate like a Buddhist monk in 30 minutes. They spend a whole lifetime doing it and yet you want to do it in 30 minutes. There's YouTube clips on, on how to have a successful investment strategy like Warren Buffett and yet Warren Buffett's bought the same few stocks that he knows and just invested in that over the long haul That's why he's Warren Buffett, 
and people want to do that in 12 months. Our world is geared around the quick fix solution. And so, what we have today is Jesus taking the long road. Jesus, uh, there's a, a sense in this narrative, and we hear it in Mary and Martha, if you'd have just been here, you could have saved Lazarus. If you'd have been here quickly, you wouldn't be standing in front of a tomb, you would be uh, with your friend uh, who would have been healed because you were here. Jesus, in this passage, is very much like the person who opens a restaurant and does the slow, methodical opening. He doesn't take the quick road, he doesn't take the under new management, the quick fix, he takes the long approach. Let's just pay attention to a little bit of what Jesus does when he hears the news. So his good friend, remember Jesus wept, so this is a really good friend and the crowd even say he was such a beloved person of Jesus. So this is a really good friend. So what does Jesus do when he hears about this? He seems to do nothing. Does he tell his disciples that Lazarus is ill? No, he doesn't tell his disciples. Does he send word that he's going to come, but he's just got to get a couple of things ready? No, he doesn't do that. Does he send word to say, it's too dangerous for me to come, so I'm not going to come? No, he doesn't do that either. Instead, he seems to wait. When he heard the news, he waited two days. The reaction of Jesus shows us that there's a difference between the fast track and the methodical track. So just for a second, if we take the quick fix restaurant under new management restaurant. Imagine if Jesus had taken that approach. Imagine if Jesus heard the news and whatever he was doing, he dropped whatever he was doing and went straight away with the person that had brought the news, say, take me back there straight away. Imagine if he dropped everything and gone back to Bethany. Well, he might have arrived in Bethany in time to heal Lazarus's illness. Now, in the account, Jesus actually takes two days to pray. So you could even say, well, okay, so say he wants to pray, surely he could pray while he's on the road. I mean, it takes a while to walk to Bethany, surely he can pray as he goes. Why does he need to spend two days in prayer? He could have done that on the road. But it seems that the two days that he spent in prayer makes all the difference. Because if Jesus had got there and healed Lazarus, we could expect that the crowd would have thought Jesus was a great healer, but he wasn't the Messiah. If it had taken the quick fix, the outcome of the story would have been Jesus is a great healer. The Jews who were around would have said, oh, so he, he healed the, the blind man, he healed the leper. Oh, the category that we're going to put Jesus into is he's a great healer, he's a miracle worker. That's the category they would have put him into. And, and Jesus, who was probably, uh, had all of these subtle ways of announcing that he was the Messiah... And some of the healings were meant to point to the fact that he was the Messiah. He could have got boxed into being a great healer. But Jesus takes the other approach. He takes a quite a different approach. When he actually hears the news, he spends two days in prayer. He spends time in prayer instead of going to Bethany straight away. And it seems that those two days in prayer makes all the difference. It, it's like Jesus wants to announce that he is the Messiah. He, it's like he wants to announce that he's the Messiah, but he doesn't want to announce it, he wants to demonstrate it. He wants to demonstrate it in a way that doesn't pigeonhole him into being boxed into a healer. He wants to go and demonstrate that he is the Messiah. The Messiah that has authority over death. 
He's already proved that he has authority over sickness. He doesn't need another miracle to show that he has authority over sickness. He's already commanded the, the natural elements. He doesn't need another miracle where he overcomes the natural elements like the calming of the storm. He goes to announce that he's the Messiah by raising Lazarus from the dead. He, he has this uh, idea, but he goes into prayer for two days. Remember when he goes into the desert for 40 days and he's able to overcome the temptation of the devil because he's had 40 days of prayer? He's going to raise someone from the dead. He doesn't want to do it without turning to his father in prayer and making that sure that it aligns with the will of the father. So he goes into prayer and he prays and he's attuned to what God is wanting to do. We don't know exactly what he did in prayer, but we can tell from the end that he's obviously asked his father, would he raise Lazarus from the dead? But notice that um, he has this metaphor of uh, sleep and the disciples don't understand. I mean, we've been talking through this season of Lent how Jesus is constantly seeing these very physical activities and he's asking us to look above the physical into the spiritual. But we've also started to turn our attention how the spiritual starts to transform the physical. And so Jesus has this discussion with his disciples about sleep. I don't know whether we've got the, the reading from John 11, Vicky. But in, in, the, in the passage there, notice how actually he, he says, our friend has fallen asleep, but I'm going to wake him up. Lord, if he's asleep, he'll get better because he's sick. If he's just sick and he goes to rest, he's going to get better. But the, remember, Jesus is speaking on a spiritual level, and so he kind of tells it plainly. He says, guys, Lazarus is dead. And it's kind of like, well, if he's dead, why are we going to go? Remember, the disciples are thinking, if he goes, if he goes, he could be uh, put to death himself. They're just a short, the, 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 the scripture says, they're just a short way from Jerusalem, and so some of the Jews have come out to mourn, well, if some of the Jews can come out to mourn, it's just as easy that some of the religious zealots can come out and arrest Jesus and take him away. And so it actually is dangerous for Jesus to go. And the disciples are telling Jesus, it's not a problem if you don't go. Everybody will understand that if you don't go, because it's dangerous for you to go there. But it seems as though he knows that Lazarus is not dead because he's been talking to his father in prayer. Unlike if he had gone quickly, and hoping that Jesus, uh, Lazarus was alive. He knows Lazarus is alive because he spent two days in prayer. It seems that he's asked God to spare his good friend, and he knows that his father wants to do it. So think about it, why can he stand at the tomb with four days of a decaying body, there's going to be a, a horrendous odour coming out, but he can stand at the tomb and know that it's not going to be a horrendous odour because he's already been praying to his God, his father. But also think about it, when the stones rolled away and there's no odour coming out, he knows that what his father has promised him is true. So at that point, he knows what has happened. And so this miracle that's about to happen actually is not about relieving the grief of the, the, the family that he loves. This miracle actually happens to point to Jesus. The miracle happens because God the Father wants to glorify the Son. And so Jesus looks up, he already knows, remember the stone's been rolled away, so he already knows that there's no bad smell, so Lazarus must be alive. 
And he, so he makes this public declaration. Remember, Jesus has had some private healings before and told him not to tell anyone. The reason I think that Jesus is trying to announce that he's the Messiah, but he's trying to demonstrate he's the Messiah, is because of this statement here. He could have just prayed this prayer privately, but he says it publicly for the crowd that are around. He says, I knew always that you hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing around here, that they may believe that you sent me. All of this, if he'd have gone quickly and he got boxed as a reputation of a healer, he didn't fulfill what God wanted him for here. He comes here when Lazarus is dead for a greater outcome. Sometimes people want the quick fix, the quick solution, the quick answer to prayer, but it's sometimes if you get that quick fix, that quick answer to prayer, it's not the greater outcome that God wants. And Jesus decides to wait for the greater outcome. Let's get it really clear. Jesus is not a day late for a healing. He comes at the perfect time to raise Lazarus from the dead. He doesn't come late to a healing. He comes at the perfect timing to raise Lazarus from the dead because that's what he came to do. There's lots of messages in this passage, more than I can possibly talk about to you today, but we've been on this journey through Lent and that's why we've got the purple lights behind us because we're in this journey of Lent and we've been asking us ourselves to lift our eyes out of the physical into the spiritual and we've on this journey now where the spiritual starts to transform the physical as the kingdom of God breaks through because Jesus has the authority for his kingdom to break in because he is the Messiah. Jesus has authority over death because he is the Messiah. Now, I'm not going to preach about the the, the sense of the resurrection because we're so close to Easter that I'm going to preach about the resurrection when we get to that. But actually, think about it in in the minds of the audience that are watching this. This This is something so unusual. But for Jesus, it's kind of like he's been saying that this is what's promised in the Old Testament about what will happen to the Messiah and and this is going to happen to me in a few weeks from now. This is a foretaste of the Easter weekend. The raising of Lazarus is a foretaste of what will happen to Jesus at Easter. Except for Jesus, it's different because Jesus' death will be the atoning sacrifice that we need. Lazarus' death was just an inconvenience, a a grief moment for Mary and Martha. Lazarus was raised from the dead, but he actually received his body back again and the body that will decay. At the resurrection of Jesus, he'll actually receive an eternal body, a new body that's part of the new heavens and the new earth promised in in the scriptures, a body that we will receive at the new heavens and the new earth when we're raised from the dead too. But only Jesus will live for eternity. Lazarus will die again and his body won't be raised again to new life until the resurrection to come. In fact, the the religious leaders see this and know the significance of this and therefore they want to kill Jesus. So the disciples were right. The disciples who said, don't go because they might kill you, that's actually right. But not only that, the scriptures actually tell us a little bit later on that because of the power of the testimony of Lazarus, they actually want to kill Lazarus too. They want to get rid of all the evidence that this guy is the Messiah. So why did Jesus wait all this time to get there? He could have gone quickly, but he didn't. He took the slower, more prayerful approach 
because he wanted to perform an amazing miracle. And he does this to remind us that God's timing is perfect. You know, the Gospels teach us that God is perfect in his timing to perform his will. You notice that God doesn't turn up, uh, Jesus doesn't turn up late to a healing, as I've said. He turns up at the appointed time to raise a man from the dead. Jesus wasn't born in Bethlehem because of the Roman census. The Roman census was part of the reason that Jesus ended up in Bethlehem, but Jesus ended up in Bethlehem because God wanted him to be born in Bethlehem to fulfill the Old Testament prophecies. It's not an accident that Jesus was in Bethlehem. If it wasn't for a Roman census, there would have been another way that God would have got his birth into Bethlehem. Jesus didn't think that it was time for God to use him at the wedding feast of Cana, but God used his mother to prompt Jesus to perform a miracle. Jesus walked through the city at the right time to encounter a blind man that potentially Jesus had walked past time and time again, the story that we heard last week. But the time that Jesus chose to heal his sight was the time where the Pharisees were hanging about. He'd have passed him many, many times, but when the Pharisees were there, that was the time that he chose to heal him because he wanted to teach a lesson about spiritual blindness. The Gospels are full of things that sound like coincidence. Was Jesus at the right time, at the right place, or was it part of God's plan? I think that's particularly why it says Jesus waited two days. That's why John said that Jesus waited two days, because he wants the crowd to know, he wants the the audience who read this to know, it's not a coincidence. Jesus doesn't just happen to be in Bethany at the time where Lazarus dies. The reason he waits two days is because it's to show that this is part of God's plan. God's timing is perfect and God's plan is perfect and it fulfills God's will for Jesus to be glorified as the Messiah and that's why this all takes place. So I wonder about your own life. I wonder about God's timing for your life. I wonder if you know that God has a plan for you. And, and, and I'm not just talking about a career here, because I've been in youth ministry and we tell a whole lot of young people in school, God has a plan for you. And we kind of really mean God has some career advice for you. But, but some of you who are, are, are retired might even kind of think, well, that's the advice we give young people. But God has a plan for every single person. And not just terms of career advice, but a plan for who you are to bring to Jesus. A plan for who you are to pray for. A plan for who you are to encounter and to be pastorally caring for. There are people that God wants you to encounter in order that they can experience the kingdom of God breaking through into their life. And I wonder whether God has revealed that plan to you yet. Because I suspect that even though God has a plan for us and we don't always understand it and we can't see it, it's still at work. It's a bit like when Nathaniel had no idea that he was going to encounter Jesus when he sat under the fig tree but later when Jesus and Nathaniel meet, Jesus says, I saw you under the fig tree. The reality is, even if you don't see God's plan for your life unfolding, God is unfolding his plan for your life and that is actually um, being worked out as we speak. God's timing is even better than you can understand And, and the way in which you're praying, God's outcome is even better than you could understand. Sometimes when we turn to God in prayer, we want the quick fix, don't we? We want to be able to pray and see the results straight away. But do we persist in prayer? 
do we go to prayer time and time again? Now, praise God when prayer results come forward really quickly. I mean, there's been some of us gathering here on a Saturday morning for prayer, and, and I can tell you, it's, it's a great joy when prayer comes to fruition really quickly. I mean, we literally prayed for a couple who walked through the property and we walked out of here for prayer and we encountered that couple in, in the church property. So sometimes prayer happens really quickly, but I bet each one of us have prayed for something and, and not necessarily seen how God's answered that prayer. And, and, and potentially we've actually given up on praying for that just before God wants to deliver on it. You see, if something is worth praying for, then I think it's actually worth persisting with. It's actually worth praying time and time and time and time and time again. It's actually worth praying for until we see it come to fruition. Now, I don't know whether we've got the Jeremiah quote there, Vicky, but this is actually something that maybe you've seen on a coffee cup. You can go to Kurong and buy this on a coffee cup and give it to someone and says, I know the plans that I have for you. And we take that and we go, great, God's got a plan for us and he's going to make us prosper. And we like the last bit, but we sort of skip the very first bit, which says, after 70 years of you waiting, this is the plan that I have for you. Are you prepared to wait 70 years for the outcome on the plan that God has for you? Are you going to keep persisting year after year as you wait for the plan that God has for you? Now, hopefully, we won't have to wait 70 years to see all of our prayers come to fruition, but that's the encouragement to us. Are we persisting in God's perfect timing to get the greater outcome that God has for our life? Are we prepared to wait on that? So, as you prepare for this Easter, as, as you prepare for the renewal of all things that happens as we journey to the cross and the resurrection? Are you waiting for God's better outcome? What are you, what are you bringing to God in prayer? What, what are the really big, bold prayers that you're asking God this Lent? What, what are the big, bold prayers that you're bringing to God, waiting and hoping that they'll be, um, come to fruition? Because Mary and Martha, they were praying to have their brother back. I think that's a pretty bold prayer. To, to not know anybody that's been raised from the dead, you see your brother in the tomb and you say, Jesus, I want my brother back. I think that's a pretty bold prayer. I've never seen anyone raised from the dead. I don't think I would have the faith of Mary and Martha to ask Jesus to bring back someone from the dead. Here at St. Columns, we're praying that more people would come to know Jesus. We've been praying, and at least in the 12 months I've been here, we've been praying for that. And, and, and I don't know about you, but some of us are getting a, a little bit more anxious about seeing a little bit more fruit from that prayer, but are we persistent in prayer? Are, are we going to pray and pray and pray until it happens? Sometimes that could be one year, two years, five years, ten years. Maybe we're actually praying prayers now that are going to actually impact the next generation, the next 140 years, and we won't see what we're praying for in, in, in this immediate. But are we turning to God in prayer? There's many, many themes in this passage, many themes. But I think one of the themes that's an important one for us, and, and we can preach some of the others when we get to Easter, but I think an important theme is to trust in God's perfect timing and to trust in God's perfect will. Jesus didn't just want a healing, he wanted to raise Lazarus from the dead. 
And unfortunately, sometimes metaphorically, we need to see something die before Jesus wants to raise it again. I heard a quote this week, some of you are at the lecture too, so you probably heard it, but the idea that Christianity is not about going from strength to strength, but it's a series of death and resurrections. And we need to pray. I suppose that's one of the reasons I'm going to invite us to prayer on Holy Saturday, to sit in that angst of the resurrection before Easter Sunday, to remind us that sometimes it actually takes months, years, before we see from the death to the resurrection. And I think this is the last slide, Vicky, the Mark reading. But I want us to hold on to it, because Jesus says, if you have faith to move a mountain, and you don't doubt in your heart, but that you believe that it will happen, then it will be done. Therefore, I tell you, whoever, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you've received it, and it will be yours. Believe that you'll receive it. That's not a, 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 a sense of believe that you'll receive it in your timing, but believe that you'll receive the outcome of God's perfect will in God's perfect timing. Gracious God, we praise and thank you for this scripture today, a great reminder to us that your perfect will happens in your perfect timing. Lord, we humbly submit to you that we would have the patience to see things how you see them. And Lord, we wouldn't go for the quick fix, something that would be a lesser version of the outcome that you desire. Lord, we pray for our own church, we pray for our own lives, we pray for the healing of many people in our congregation. But Lord, we hand it over to you, to your perfect will and your timing. And we make this prayer in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. I'm going to invite the musicians to come forward.